welcome back to Midwretched Friends. Hello. Hello and welcome back, Beck. We have missed you so hard. Yes, we have. It has been a while since we've recorded, so you'll have to pardon us if we sound a little bit rusty or a little bit funky, but yeah. we're trying to get back into our groove. We appreciate y'all for sticking with us, and we hope you enjoyed our throwback episode. Yes. It was fun to revisit for me, like, just to think about, I don't know, my earphone keeps falling out. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, I had a lot of fun, like, going back to our roots a little bit, you know? I did, too, back before we knew anything of what we were doing, and we had, yes. like, three listeners, and it was so cute. I know, our days of innocence, you know? Aww. And now... I mean, we have hit milestones that we did not think we'd ever hit, and that's amazing, and we're just really grateful, and going back to an episode that was like, one of our, well, we had some good ones before that, but one of our early goodies, I think. Yeah, so, you know, we're not going to, like, deep dive a ton into the personal stuff that has been, you know, kind of making things a little bit more difficult, but we'll just say a little bit just to you know we're not we're not trying to blow off what we're doing here you know like at all Um, no this is still really really important to us but I think like our actual lives are obviously much more and we genuinely needed some time for self-care so yeah we've got some real stuff going on like I'm not gonna get into a ton of details um because I don't want to and in general, I'm kind of tired of my life revolving around this right now, although it, it has to. Um, but for those that want to kind of connect with the divine in whatever way you do that, um, and you want to send any of that energy my way, as you guys know, if you've been around for a bit, I'm pregnant, and we have had some unexpected and very severe life-threatening um, news that affects our baby. So, um we're getting very good care. It's been a very good um, time to really, like, appreciate my life in many ways. Like, um, you know, I have access to really good health care and really good insurance, and we, we're we going to have to relocate for care, and we are able to do that because of um, an amount of privilege that I wish belonged to everybody in this mm-hmm. world um, and all that. But it's been really, really tough. So, um we're making our way through it, but it's definitely been kind of a one foot in front of the other situation, and yeah, that's where we're at. So certainly not, um, yeah, has not been easy, but trying to get back into some grooves and some normalcy because you need that when you're going through big stuff, like to do the things that remind you that you're human and not just like a being to get poked and prodded or Fodder for some insurance company, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. That's where we're at, y'all. So please send your vibes, but I think there's also like a kind of a level of privacy and intimacy to this issue, so. Yeah, definitely. Big time. So, yeah, just vibe in whatever way you want to vibe, and we will appreciate it very much. Yes. Yes. I'm sending all my vibes your way, like 110,000% of them. I know. And a giant box of cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I did like send you a giant box of cookies. My favorite thing is whenever I'm going through something. I, I, I feel as though there have been a couple of times that you've sent me a box of cookies from this place, and they're delicious cookies. <laughs> and there's always like two dozen of them. <laughs> I'm like, what, what do you think? It's, a, it's a literally. 
probably the only size package to send. Oh, that's so interesting. Because I'm like, I mean, I know I'm pregnant, but damn, like, I can't do this. <laughs> so it, it is true. I love sending Tommy these just they're just these really adorable very expressive cookies and they're delicious and they're really delicious from this etsy shop but literally you can only send them in two dozens oh my god yeah (laughs) i opened it and i was like is this what i think (laughs) yes it is two dozen cookies (laughs) but they're individually wrapped so they last a good while Mm -hmm. Um, i was gonna i was gonna have them for my wedding but uh then that got covid canceled so yeah it cracks me up every time my husband grabs one. He's like, is it okay if I eat this? I'm like, there are two dozen cookies. If you do not eat them, <laughs> I will kill you. I need you to eat these cookies. And they're delicious. Uh, them, so it makes me happy. I'm glad. Yes. So uh, kind of because of all of these life circumstances that mm-hmm. um, bring us into moments of despair, we're taking a little bit of a sidetrack this week yes we both needed a little bit of a mental break um from tragedy and stress and thinking too much to be quite honest yes so i threw this idea out to you because i thought we both needed a little bit of fun yes Yes. (laughs) to do a little bit of a special edition episode (laughs) i'm into it where I get to review with you one of my special interests, one of my favorite side quests. Yes. Da-da-da-da. The aliens at Wright Pat Air Force Base. Yes. <laughs> still Midwest. It's still spooky. There might be a murdered alien, so it's still technically true crime. And if you're somebody that believes that there should be full disclosure between the government and its people, then. This would, to your imagination, be a true crime story. I mean, crimes were, in fact, committed. Yes. I mean, we're going to go through a whole lot of stuff. But all of that being said, we realize that this is intentionally a bit of a goofier episode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because we, like I said, we needed it. If aliens and conspiracies aren't your jam, you're here for, like, hardcore, honest, true crime. I get it. Come back next week. We will be getting back to it. Yes, we will. I promise. Promise, promise, promise. But I am here for some fun. Me too. And if you're into it, people, hang with us. So here we go. We get to dive into one of my favorite subject areas since literally as long as I can remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a memory of me not sitting in front of the TV watching like alien documentaries on the sci-fi channel. Same. Playing Legos with my teddy bear. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Hazzy Bear. Hazzy Bear knows all about aliens, too. I can see him, actually, in the background. He's in the background. The oldest living teddy bear. <laughs> did you know he's older than me? I did know that, because he's a hand-me-down, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. I know more about your life than you do. <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so we are going to get to go to my backyard, mm-hmm. Beaver Creek, Ohio, the home of Wright Pet Air Force Base. Yes. So tell me, Tommy, do you believe in aliens? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I do. I like do. hardcore? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's much more nebulous territory when you start thinking about, like, have we been visited? Like, these types of things. That's obviously a different mm-hmm. question. But yeah. are there extraterrestrials out there? 
yeah, I mean, I think, like, scientifically, mathematically, without a doubt, the nature of that life, <laughs> what is it? Don't know. But yeah, is there at least bacteria living somewhere else or something resembling bacteria? How could there not be, you know? Yeah. I, that's kind of where I'm at, too. Like, there's no way that there's not life elsewhere in the yeah. universe. I like to believe, I want to believe, as a famous man once said, I want to believe that aliens landed here. I want to believe that there are aliens at Wright Pat. Yeah. I, I don't know if I do. There is, um, I'll make a plug for a show that doesn't need plugs because it's literally from the New York Times. <laughs> they don't need our help. But there was recently um, a very good episode of the show The Argument. Um, and the premise of the show is that a journalist brings on guests that basically kind of talk about a complex issue. It's really good. And there's a, a pretty good episode, a very good episode recently about whether or not we should intentionally try to contact other life forms. And it is a fascinating debate. And what it really fell down to is um, it really became a question about intentions, like whether or not we do that is a question of whether or not you trust at a default somebody's intentions or not. Yes. It's fascinating. So it's fascinating. if you like this episode, go ahead and listen to the New York Times The Argument podcast. Oh, I'm going we to. Should contact aliens. It's really good. All right. Let's dive into our content. Yes. I wore a space shirt. Can you see it? Uh, I wore... Oh, I wore my... <laughs> Okay, this is fitting. I wore my shirt that says, uh, if you can be anything, be inclusive. That's awesome. <laughs> We're including <laughs> aliens in our show. I love that. Anyway, so first I have to talk a little bit about like Wright-Pat Air Force Base. Yes. Really quick, Wright-Pat Air Force Base is one of the biggest military bases in the country. It is this huge complex in... Beaver, I think it's technically Beaver Creek and Riverside. It's in the Dayton metro area. Yeah. And it is gigantic. It it was at one point the biggest employer in the Dayton area. I think, I don't know if that still stands, but huge economic impact from Wright Pat in Beaver Creek. It is about seven miles from my childhood home. So I obviously went to school with a lot of military kids and a lot of military teachers and things like that. Yeah. And so whenever I would watch these documentaries about aliens and Roswell and things like that, and they'd talk about Wright Pat, and I'd be like, I know where that is. <laughs> I've been there. But one of the longest standing myths about Wright Pat is that they have aliens or alien bodies or UFO crashes. And the myths are so widely varied to like, oh, they have UFO debris to men in black style. There's aliens working at the base. Yes. <laughs> Depending on what you wanted to believe. Yes. In order to understand that, you have to understand the whole ass history about why that might even be plausible. So let's get into the history of Wright Pat Air Force Base. Yes, I'm so excited. Starting with, what if I told you that Wright Pat was built on ancient Andean barrow grounds? <laughs> um, I would tell you, of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Because it is. Oh my gosh. 
It sounds like such a trope, but it actually is true. Along one of the streets leading to the Air Force Base known as P Street is the sacred site of the Adena people, a burial mound. Now, if you grew up around Dayton, I guarantee you, you, you took a childhood field trip to the mounds. I was going to say, I feel like I've seen the mounds of Dayton. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of them. The most famous one is the Great Serpent Mound. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm with you now. The Adena culture were precursors to the Hopewell tribes, mm. who are present throughout Ohio and Kentucky and Indiana. And these mounds were kind of ceremonial sites. They served as burial sites, historical markers, gathering places, and things like that. Basically, what they were was a mortuary would be built. It would be covered in earthwork. And then more mortuary would be built on top of that. And then earthwork on top of that that would build these gigantic structures. So beautiful. They're really, really cool. Yeah. And like you mentioned, there are several Native American burial mounds in the area. And this one is known as the Wright Pet Air Force Base Mound. Which I'm sure is exactly what the original peoples intended. That is its um, true name. No, I'm just mm-hmm. kidding. Definitely. Yeah, no. Obviously. Uh, Listen, I'm not going to go into how the military got this uh, land, but I'm sure it probably wasn't through the most most ethical of ways. Mm, Yeah, I can't imagine that it was. The Adena Mound is currently designated an archaeological site and is protected. The military currently works in consultation with five indigenous tribes to protect the site. Mm. But it's an ancient Indian burial ground. (laughs) And many will say that there are plenty of hauntings on Wright Pat, although that is not today's subject. Yes. Although apparently my favorite plane is haunted, so. I think there's like a 10-minute Unsolved Mysteries clip about the house at Wright Pat that's haunted. Yes, I forget the name of the house, but yeah, there's a Ghost Hunters about it too. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. And the Strawberry Bitch, my favorite B-24 Liberator bomber is, is haunted. Right. We all love the Strawberry Bitch. It's the best plane there, and everybody knows it. <laughs> it's the best name for a plane, that's for sure. It is. Anyway, so that is the inception of the grounds that we're starting with. Fantastic. Off to a great start. <laughs> exactly. We're off to a great start, right? Yeah. Just like every horror story. So air operations at Wright Pat actually started when it was known as the Huffman Prairie, way back as old as flight itself. In 1904 and 1905, the OGs, Wilbur and Orville Wright, first tested their experimental aircrafts there before successfully launching at Kitty Hawk. So we are the first in flight as much as South Carolina tries to steal it from us. We were the originators of the Wright Flyer. Thank you very much. And honestly, when you stop to think about it, the rate at which flight develops between 1904 and the start of World War II is a little ridiculous. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. And largely driven by World War I. Like, mm-hmm. as soon as we see, like, oh, we can go up in the air, the government just starts throwing money at aircraft. Yeah. In 1913, President Woodrow Wilson created the National Advisory Committee on Aeronautics. And they established a center to research aircraft in the military to see how they could use aircraft. This was located in good old McCook Field in Dayton, Ohio. Dayton was chosen because Ohio was already the center of a lot of auto and aircraft plants. 
So basically, we already had the, the raw material, so we might as well keep it there. Mm, yeah. So right there on McCook Field, which is actually still the original location of what is now Wright Pat, they started to develop the hangars and runways to build, test, and manufacture all these airplanes. It didn't take long. By 1924, they had already outgrew the facilities at McCook Field. So as they were outgrowing it and the military was like, oh, we got to start looking elsewhere, Daytonians were so desperate to keep them there because they were so good for the economy that yeah. the residents the residents donated 5,250 acres of land Whoa. on the outskirts of the city, just donated it. And that land developed into what became Wright Field, which was right next to McCook Field. Yeah. Interesting. Resident donated land because we really liked the economy. I mean, it makes sense. It 100% makes sense. I didn't know that, but it makes sense. That's interesting. I learned so much. I I texted Tommy yesterday. I was like, I did way too much research for this. (laughs) Which is a conversation we have, like, fairly often, I think, but... Like, I think I went a little too far. <laughs> a little too far. I took one, one too many side quests. Yeah. So it goes. So it goes. It happens. Yeah. Anyway, so after the residents donated the land, it would become known as Wright Field. So you had Wright Field and McCook Field. Wright Field, obviously, named after Wilbur and Orville, like everything in Dayton is. Mm-hmm. Formerly opened in 1927. Here's where we get into it. So since its very, very inception, Wright Field has been dedicated to research and development. Mm-hmm. It's stationed at the time what was known as the Material Division. Material spelled I-E-L. Still not sure why. Material. Material. So the Material Division. Any military people want to explain that to me? Go for it. Yeah. And this new location housed all of the researchers together, which was really helpful because prior to this, they had people working on engine development and then wings development and then this part and this part all separate. When they all came together, it turns out that building a plane together rather than in component parts is much easier. (laughs) Well, that's good. Good knowledge to have. Good knowledge to have. Listen, we were still babies. Planes were only 20 years old. That's so crazy, though. That's really crazy. In 1928, they were authorized to complete the building of experimental labs and other expansions, including what would become Building 18. Mm. Now, even the casual UFO enthusiast will tell you the myth of Hangar 18 is not real because there is no Hangar 18. Mm. Even your casual UFO enthusiast. Because <laughs> there are so many casual UFO enthusiasts. I like to consider myself a casual enthusiast. I don't consider you casually enthusiastic about anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably true. If I I may be so bold as to say. Uh, uh, You know that conversation we always have about whether or not I'm autistic? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We do. I'm just going to put that in that pocket. Yep. (laughs) Slide that right in the pocket. Slide that right in there. Um, anyway, this became Building 18. Again, there is technically no admitted to Hangar 18 on Wright Pat Air Force Base. Admitted to. Admitted to. But Building 18 was used at the time for engine development. On current existing maps, because, you know, I looked them up, it is listed and named as the Propulsion Directorate. 
that's what I was just pulling up on Google because I wanted to see like an aerial view of everything. Oh, I have pictures of it. Do you want to see? Yeah. Okay. They're not very impressive. Mm. As I don't think that you would think that the government would probably release very impressive pictures. These are our official photos of Building 18. Yeah. Would make, like, an okay postcard. Yeah, a couple of them would. But yeah. Yeah. Not impressive. Not really. But that's the point. Exactly. They gotta hide everything. Yeah. So Building 18 is the Propulsion Directorate. But we're still in... We're between World War One and World War Two now. Mm-hmm. And the growth doesn't stop. 1931, the area east of the Huffman Dam was acquired. This would be named for Lieutenant Frank Stewart Patterson, who, along with Lieutenant Leroy Swan, died in an experimental crash after the, their plane's wings collapsed in a dive, firing at ground targets. Oh, wow. The plane that they were testing was a plane using a synchronized propeller machine gun that shot machine guns through their propellers. Jeez. Just like what my judge shot in World War II. That's a lot. That's just a lot. It was an incredibly dangerous job. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. I think it's kind of cool. I mean, it's terrifying, but yeah. It's both cool and terrifying. Anyway, so during World War II, right field got huge. We are talking, this is where probably the most expansion of not only right pad, but the entire Dayton metro area happened. They added a technical data branch. They expanded the Air Corps, the flight training unit. They were given 1940s $300 million. Whoa. That's an insane amount of money. Yeah. That's an insane amount of money. What does that translate to now? Hold on. I'm going to my favorite website, the Inflation Calculator. Like, ridiculous. $3 million? $300 million. $300 million. Six, that's a lot of zeros. Oh my god. What is it? Do I even know how to pronounce this number? It is a, a, just a hair over $4.2 billion. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. That's billions. Like half a Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I was just going to make the same joke. <laughs> Good job. So Jeff Bezos moved into Dayton and expanded the number of buildings from 40 to 300 in three years. Yes. All of these improvements were really focused on improving horsepower, range, maneuverability, safety, and weapons. Mm-hmm. Now, one of my favorite little rabbit holes that I went on to was looking at how plane names changed during this time. Yeah, this was a fun string of texts. <laughs> So we start with the C-46 Skytrain. Yeah. yeah. Cute, right? We like yeah, a Skytrain. I, like I like that. Okay. And then we get to the C-54 Skymaster. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. But then we get the C-46 Commando. Oh, my. The B-24 Liberator. The P-40 Warhawk. The B-29 Super Fortress. And the, my favorite, the Convair B-36 Peacemaker. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I just really like that it's called the Peacemaker. Yeah, I like that too. So 
you know, I, I, I just kept going down this rabbit hole and I was looking up like, oh, what are my modern fighter jets called? Yeah. And I stumbled across uh, Lockheed Martin's website and their ad, because you just do ads for these things now. Right. The F-35 Lightning II. Name not nearly as cool, but let me read you this description, my listeners. Yes. It's so cool. The F-35 strengthens national security, enhances global partnerships, and powers economic growth as the most lethal, survivable, and connected gen- <laughs> fighter jet in the world. Like what? <laughs> what? <laughs> the most lethal and most... Sur- what? It, I, I think that that one is actually referring to its safety if it crashes. Yeah. So it's survivable for the pilot, right. but it's lethal to and literally everybody kill else. power for everybody on the wrong side of it. But oh maximum global partnerships and economic growth. Definitely that. Definitely Very important. That thing right there, for sure. For sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I just had to share that with everybody. Yeah, I love that. Uh, that's this is World War Two brought us up to that quote. I just want <laughs> we wouldn't be at that quote without World War Two. No. And eventually during World War Two, one of the big things that starts happening at Wright Pat is a focus on reverse engineering. Reverse engineering means reconstructing enemy materials that had crashed and been recovered. So basically, if a German tank or bomber or whatever crashed they would make people go pick up the pieces bring them back to right pat and we would try to rebuild them because we thought that they had better weapons than us and it helped us to understand and fight them and whatever one of the things that this helped us do is we recovered a v1 flying bomb we were able to reassemble it there were a total of six buildings an outdoor staging area and one full hangar filled with just scraps mm. that we were reverse engineering during during World War Two. Yeah. Do you know what this project was called? No. Operation Lusty. Ooh. Yeah. So the recovery and reverse engineering program from from World War Two was called Operation Lusty. That makes me feel like a little uncomfortable. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. I'm like, did I hear that? More or less uncomfortable than the F-35 Lightning. I mean, nothing makes me more uncomfortable than that. So So less, I would say, but I'm still in like a low-key state of discomfort for sure. Well, wait, because I'm probably going to make it a little bit more uncomfortable. Okay. I didn't share this one with you, but I did share it with my sister who (laughs) was shocked that I was shocked, but I'll go into it. Obviously, there were also housing complexes, food halls, and all of that on the base, too. And we actually housed a lot of POWs on the base. Um, they lived on the base before they were released. Some of the POWs spent extended times in housing. One thing that is really cool, I'd never known this before. The POWs who were living there for extended period of time, they got kind of like restless and bored. They asked for permission to paint murals in the food hall. Now, originally there were three murals, but unfortunately two of them had been lost to time and renovations and being painted over and everything. There is still some in that are hidden in the ceilings that I'm hoping that they can kind of maintain. But these murals feature giant green demons. What? Fire and devils and people fleeing for their lives. That's rad. 
I gotta show this to you again. Yeah, please. Whoa! That's so cool. Yeah. I'm obsessed with them. There, it's it's really beautiful art too. Like that's just really cool. I couldn't get, I couldn't find any like single shots from the ones in the ceilings. But uh, when I post this, I'll link to the video, the video tour of these. But it's largely believed that this is where part of the Little Green Men myth came from. Interesting. That's really, it's really cool. I had never heard of these before in my life, and they're mm. so neat. Yeah, that's, I'm getting more comfortable now. <laughs> Do I have you jet. intrigued now? Is it that? It's the art. That's what gets you intrigued. No, it's it? the art. It's also the baby kicking me in the, like, bowels that just... Oh. The way she's sitting right now, like, if I lean forward at all, I can tell it's uncomfortable for both of us, and she's like, what are you doing? And then she kicks mm-hmm. me in, like internal part of my butthole it feels like and then I'm just like fine so yeah it's weird (laughs) like inside your butt kick yeah that's what she's and I know she's like head down right now so I can't help but think is it like a headbutt or like a punch it's not a kick like she's kicking up so yeah I think she's like headbutting me in the the inner pooper I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's nice because it's, you know, she's still there, but still. She's moving. She's vibing. Yeah. Oh, she's vibing all right on all the wrong parts of me. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, but also the art. Yeah, the art's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So between, like, these crazy green demons the reverse engineering programs, the flight school, these constant weird flights taking off and crashing and strange things in the sky. People would start to think that strange things were afoot at Wright Pat. Yeah. Now, one of the other things that we have to cover before we go more into this is, so World War II ends, we win, yay. But obviously, like, research and development on spacecraft and aircraft did not slow down at Wright Pat. Like, we as Americans knew we had a good thing going and we're not stopping it. Yeah. Also, it wasn't long before we jumped into another war, so. Right. Never takes us very long, does it? I know we just got out of Afghanistan. We're going to be back in another war in no more than five years. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Anyway. So we had a lot of momentum in building missiles and aircraft and rockets and things like that. But we were also just greedy. We didn't like that the Nazis had better technology or we thought that they had better technology. So insert project paperclip. Yeah, brought largely into a national conscious that by Mulder and Scully, our heroes. Project Paperclip, it was called something else before, and there were other, like, smaller projects that fed into it, but by and large, I'm just going to refer to Project Paperclip, was a government program that brought Nazi scientists to the U.S., giving them work permissions for government projects so that we could go to the moon. And that was literally what it was justified as, that we got to the moon. A lot of times people would say, especially when this first came out, like, oh, it was only like low level Nazis. Right. It wasn't like it wasn't the big baddies. We made sure it wasn't the big baddies. Mm -hmm. We know that that was a lie. Yeah. 
we also know that like the U.S. government didn't exactly waste any time in bringing them over. Right. By the end of 1945, we had brought over dozens of Nazi scientists. So they said that they screened them, that these people didn't do any war crimes, blah, 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 blah. That could not be more wrong. Many of them yeah. were under active investigation. It's like defined war crimes. Like, I need you this definition to them. work so that I can import these scientists. Yeah. Um, the other way around, you know? Or we, if we can't make the definition work, we can just scrub their records. Mm-hmm. So fun facts about Project Paperclip. Most people thought that they were only brought, that these scientists were only brought over to work on rockets and to work for NASA. The truth is, nearly 500 actual Nazi scientists were given jobs in the U.S. 205 were taken in by the Air Force, 177 by the Army, 72 by the Navy, and the rest to NASA. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. Where do you think those 205 from the Air Force went? Right, Pat. Yeah, most of the those two hundred and five were assigned directly to Wright Pat Airfield, mm. or Wright Wright Field as it was at that time. Got it. Including Arthur L. H. Rudolph, who helped design the Saturn V rocket, and was also a target of allegations for slave labor usage as a Nazi. Jeez. He forced slave labor to help develop V-1 and V-2 rockets. Wow. When this was discovered decades later, he left the U.S. for West Germany and renounced his U.S. citizenship. Interesting. What people also don't notice is that these Nazi scientists didn't stay with the military. They did their work in the military, and then a lot of them went off into private industry and, bum ba bum academia. Right. I mean, I have, like, so much social commentary. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to wow. go for it? I know this is supposed to be a fun episode, but I couldn't not. I know. My neighbors were Nazis. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just... Really, it's one of those things in America, we have this, like, cultural sense of, like, militaristic purity in a way, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take, like, a super thorough deep dive into actual military history to know that's just simply not the case. No. And we, the universal we, not me, because I'm not, like, a rah-rah patriot type, but... (laughs) Um, can't tell but <laughs> um, you're the patriot we need not the patriot we deserve thank you thank you my people have been on the wrong side of these things for a very long time um but like uh what was i thinking just now just the sense of like it, that period doesn't exist like you, it, it disproves itself basically immediately mm-hmm. and i think that's really uncomfortable to think that like you know, we went into a war where, you know, we had, like, the moral high ground, obviously, but at the same time, like, having the moral high ground doesn't necessarily mean you do and act in every way morally, right? Mm-hmm. So, I just think that's a really important historical note to, you know, just to be aware of, that it's like, these. this part is not conspiratorial, this is facts. No, 
No. And it it didn't take much to have the moral high ground in World War Two. Right. Like but, literally don't be a Nazi. But literally did we have the moral high ground though? Because what were we doing to the Japanese? Everybody likes to really, everybody likes to separate that from we were the patriots and World War II was a moral war and all of that, but. Yeah. And I mean, I think for the the bulk of the American citizenry, it was a moral war, right? Mm -hmm. But for those pulling the strings, it was a lot more complicated than that. I won't say it was entirely dark, obviously, but you have to acknowledge the complexity. Yeah. Yeah. That's my soapbox. Anyway. I just think this is the part I texted my sister and I was like, oh, my God. So there were just Nazis just chilling in Beaver Creek. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, I guess we don't really talk much about that, do we? <laughs> yeah. I mean, why would you? <laughs> I guess like, everyone's in the Dorothy Lane market like, so uh, what war crimes did you commit this week? What's happening in your garage? <laughs> you know? But I went to so many German festivals, Tommy. Girl, I'm sure you did. Anyway, this puts a whole new extra layer on top of all the clan rallies that occur in Dayton. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Anyway, Beaver Creek, Dayton. Yeah. Woof. What is happening? (laughs) Woof. (laughs) That was our, like, moment of reflection during our supposedly fun episode. Yeah. Are we having fun yet? (laughs) Are we having fun yet? I mean, I'm actually having fun. This is the first time I've laughed. Oh, good. Then I accomplished my goal. Because we are, and we're just about to get to talk about Roswell. Thank God. Okay. Take Uh, me to Roswell. I know. We had to do all of that background work to get to Roswell. Because you had to understand, like, there was this reverse engineering. There was this, we're going to bring in foreign craft and we're going to disassemble them. That part is incredibly true. Yes. And then we talk about Roswell and we talk about the ultimate and foreign craft. Around this time, people start to see a lot of strange things in the sky. People are looking up more. They see discs and rockets and strange things. Oh, I have to show you this. One more time. Well, one more time for now. I'm going to share my screen with you because I have to show you my favorite of the flying discs. This is my favorite flying disc. This is the Vought V173 Flying Pancake. Aw, it looks like a flying pancake. It is. This is an actual aircraft developed by the U.S. military. It's so cute. It looks like a Pokemon. I know. I will, again, post this on our our social media. But imagine if you took Pikachu and then you flattened him and made him a flying saucer. Exactly. That's exactly what it looks like. It's adorable. It does not work. Mm. It's still cute, though. <laughs> Shocker. I don't know if this is still at the Air Force History Museum, but... I hope so. So, people were seeing weird things in the sky, and as evidenced by the flying pancake, the military was developing weird shit. Yes, there was weird stuff in the sky. Like, in our, uh, you know, without argument. Genuinely weird shit in the sky. And honestly, we can only really, like, speculate what were people seeing. Was it paranoia? Was it mass hysteria? Was it the actual weird shit in the sky? Was it aliens? We don't know. Right. 
a lot of people will say because once we launched the atomic bomb, that's when the aliens started coming. Although there were UFO sightings long before Roswell. Oh, yes. Ask ancient aliens. Ask ancient aliens. So in 1947, the U.S. government develops first its Project Sign, and then it would be Project Grudge, and then it would be Project Bluebird. They all have slightly different mandates and scopes, but they ended up being essentially the same thing. So I'm going to talk about Project Blue Book. The job of Project Blue Book was to investigate all of these UFO sightings. So when people said that they saw something, they called Wright Pat, and Wright Pat sent people over to pick it up. And again, ridiculous stories that I will go into as we do this. But also keep in mind, there's still war stuff going on. We were balls deep in the Korean War. We were balls deep in the Cold War. Yeah. Not much has changed. Always balls deep in some war. So, Roswell. Picture it. 1947, (laughs) New Mexico. I'm there. July 2nd, 1947, in a remote area of New Mexico, reports of a flying saucer that crashed during a violent thunderstorm start coming in. The remains of the crash are quickly taken to Walker Air Force Base, which is just three miles south of the Central Business District in Roswell. The reason why this I think blew up more than any other like sighting of its time was it was really the first time that we had mass press taking pictures yeah. of military tearing apart the supposed yeah. UFO. There are pictures in the local Roswell newspapers of military officers holding up this weird debris that looks like pieces of wood and tinfoil. The Roswell debris would be sent to, quote, higher headquarters, which at the time were not disclosed, but it was eventually released that it was, they first went to Fort Worth. And after they were sent away, the headlines would be like, that was nothing, that was a weather balloon. And that was where the myth started. (laughs) Because people looked at those old headlines and they're like, that did not look like a balloon. Then suddenly all of these unconfirmed eyewitness accounts start coming in saying there was more debris and they didn't show everything to you, but there were four gray-skinned aliens, dead spacemen, three to four feet tall, all recovered at the crash site. All of this starts coming in, honestly, well after the crash. It is said that after things were sent to Fort Worth, that they were then taken, the material and the little gray men were taken and housed at Ripe Field in Hangar 18. Former pilot Oliver Henderson, who was at the site, reportedly told his wife that he flew a plane load of debris along with several alien bodies from Roswell to Wright Field. That is not in official military statements, but only his reports of what he told his wife. And then we have World War II pilot Marion Black Mac Magruder, which is Top's choice in name. His children would later come forward years later and say that our father said that he saw a living alien at Wright Field in 1947. He saw the bodies. Again, these are not his words. This is his children's report of his words. It was a shameful thing the military did to destroy this creature and conduct tests on it. 
Some claim, again, years later, some would claim that there were as many as 16 alien bodies recovered at Roswell. Others would claim that the bodies were immediately destroyed, that the aliens were killed. Others would say that, no, the scientists took them. They only killed them when they tried to save them and experiment on them. This myth keeps on building and building and building and gets further and further away from the truth that all of the bodies were taken to Wright Pat and that's where they, we expanded our cellular genetic research and that's how we started to learn about stem cells and blah, blah, blah. It was from the aliens. I like that. I like that. So this turns from a little bit of tinfoil and wood is found in a crash into the government took 16 aliens and experimented on them and right. killed them. You gonna talk about the alleged like video footage? Which one? You tell me. Which one should um, I talk about? I was thinking about the British one. In 1995, British music and video producer Ray Santilli announced he had required footage of such an autopsy. Um, it was a fake, but helped to popularize the Roswell legend even further. Uh, I didn't have that in my notes, but I, I have seen this footage so many yeah, me times. Too. Me too. And it's, I mean, it's a massive hoax. Like the filmmaker came out to admit such, but mm-hmm. um, it's it's very jarring footage. It's very jarring footage. The first time that you see it, I've seen it so many times. And knowing the full story behind it, it's almost kind of comical to look at because it's so rubbery. Yeah. But if you don't know all of that, it is really scary. Yeah. yeah. I find it I found it very jarring. And I still kinda do even though I know it's a hoax. To be honest. So basically yeah. like what this guy did, um, is this filmmaker in the nineties put together this alien autopsy film, basically. Mm-hmm. Um Claiming that this was the footage taken at Wright Pat in Hangar yep. 18 of the um, alien the autopsy. And um, he went and got, like, like obviously the body on the table is, like, a mannequin and stuff like that. But then he'd also gotten, like, animal parts from Butcher and stuff like that. So there's, like, mm-hmm. animal parts and, and then, like, all this, like, vintage medical instruments. So it was, like... Um, historically accurate like what instruments would have been used and the costuming and stuff like that Mm -hmm. it's obviously all in black and white so like if you're looking to be convinced and it's 1995 and this footage comes out Mm -hmm. it's stunning footage obviously we know now what it is because he felt ended up feeling really bad about it and he's like yeah i i I messed up (laughs) i remember when it came out so like i'm not gonna like i was really young when i came out i was eight seven eight yeah, I was eight when it came out. There was like a special edition debunking yeah. it where they tried to like play the footage and then they tried to like recreate it. The guy did his research. Yes, it's very, very thorough. In creating yeah. this. I think we should post that I on the so socials too, too because it's, again, it's kind of spooky to yeah. look at. If you're seven-year-old me in 1995, it was real spooky to look at. <laughs> Oh if you're eight year old me in 1995, it's like <sighs> I could not peel my eyes away no, from the screen. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it, it's really cool footage. That's the most well done yeah. one. 
it's interesting to me that that came out in 1995, almost 50 years after this incident occurred. So it was in, I think, like 1992 that the NSA released all the documents related to this. And they went back and they interviewed as many people as they actually could that were actually there that day. So like firsthand witnesses. Lieutenant Colonel Cavett was his name. He had been interviewed before in all of these documentaries. And he was like, oh, yeah, I was there. It was this crazy thing, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, he would go back and listen to his interviews. And he was like, that's not what I said. They just they edited all those pieces back together. I've been misrepresented. I've been misquoted. He said himself, like, yeah, it was a pretty mundane thing he reported that the material recovered was a reflective sort of material like aluminum foil some bamboo like sticks and kind of like other things from private researchers there was a small black box connected to it we thought it was um a radio sound which is like a radar tool and when they went back and kind of interviewed him for official documents later he said, I never knew that, that that Roswell was supposed to be anything weird until I did an interview in 1980 and they re-edited my information Dang. together. That's brutal. So that was his signed sworn statement to the NSA. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. Another person that they interviewed later was Major Irving Newton. He was the officer assigned to Fort Worth when the materials were brought there. You want to know what he said about the materials? His official statement. Newton, he was in charge of, I'm trying to think, sorry, I'm looking at my notes. And I can't f- remember what exactly his job was, but he had something to do with like logistics and research and development and things like that. But they called him in when they got the Roswell materials. The general basically said, hey, we have this stuff. People are saying that it's extraterrestrial we don't know what it is people are freaking out we need somebody to help us identify it and this is his quote from the nsa interviews he said quote i walked into the general's office where this supposed flying saucer was all over the general's office floor as soon as i saw it i giggled and i asked if that was the flying saucer i told them that it was a balloon and a rawin target he said, while I was examining the debris, Major Marcel was picking up pieces of the target and trying to convince me that some of these notations on the sticks were alien writings. There were figures on the sticks in lavender and pink color, appeared to be weather-faded markers with no rhyme or reason. He did not convince me that these were alien writings. So this was a Rawan target. Yeah. What it basically was, was the military was trying to develop what they called constant-level balloons. The job of these balloons was to detect shock waves from different types of explosions. So basically, when they tested other forms of missiles and nuclear bombs, um, these balloons were supposed to stay in place and collect data. That black box on them was supposed to be either a weight or something or something else to kind of gather more information. Interesting. Okay. Apparently, the, what those weird hieroglyphs in the pink-purple writing was, was because that tape came from a toy factory. Oh, jeez. 
And it was an imprint from the tape that they used on the toy factory that they were just like little pictures of flowers and shit. Aw, that's so cute. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's actually like super adorable. Well, and all the reflective lights were just because they were trying to track the balloons to see if they worked. Right. Apparently, one of the researchers from NYU working on like the targeting project was actually able to label. He's like, yes, this is balloon number 11. Wow. I looked up. Because I was curious, I never knew, I had no idea what, the, what a Rawin target was. Yeah. And it's basically lots of little, like, hexagons put in a row. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, that, that looks like that. Yeah. I can see that. We'll need some pictures of that for the socials, I think, to help put, the, put it all together. So this is what a Rawin target looks like. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool looking, but these were targets used. It's not a weather balloon. It was definitely something used for research and development. It probably was taken back or taken from Wright Pat that they were using to track missiles and bombs. Yeah. There's plenty of like strings of truth, you know? Mm hmm. And that's what I think is like really interesting. I was telling my partner, I was like, I wish I could just be a professional debunker. You are very good at it. I wish that that could be my life, but he sadly looked at me and told me nobody wants that. People like their beliefs. <laughs> they do, they do. He's like, people like their beliefs, and you're just, I don't think they want to be debunked. No, I mean, and people need their beliefs. It's not always a want, you know, it's a need to. Yeah. So these constant level balloons were used to detect shock waves and things like that that were generated by different explosions. And they just had tape from a toy factory on them. Which is, again, I think kind of charming. Yeah, I think it's very charming, actually. It's very human. Yeah, I don't think that that story convinced too many people, and I don't think that my telling of it is going to convince many people either. Right, right, right. But I tell it in the cutest way possible. Yes, you do. You do. So I'm going to keep talking about aliens, because Roswell was not the end of the alien sightings. Yeah. Like, literally over the next few years, we have, like, the McMinnville photographs, the Lubbock lights, my absolute favorite encounter, the Flatwoods monster. Yes, I love the Flatwoods monster. I'm obsessed with the Flatwoods monster. I want to take him home. (laughs) We have the Betty and Barney Hill abductions. By 1965, even Jimmy Carter jumped on the train and insisted that he had seen UFOs. Yeah, yeah. Reagan did, but that was later, and Reagan isn't as cool as Jimmy Carter. (laughs) Meanwhile, Wright Pat was collecting all of these accounts under Project Blue Book, remember? So they were collecting them, investigating them, taking stuff back. We are Cold War crazy right now, right? We are reverse engineering every dumb scrap that we get. We are also developing crafts that go at mock speed. Have you ever experienced a sonic boom? We have a lot. Yeah. I experienced one on 9-11. It was probably the most terrifying thing we all experienced collectively. Yeah, yeah. I remember hearing about it. There was a really funny article in Cincinnati that apparently they went through a period in 1962 of like weeks at a time where they just had regular sonic booms between 8 o'clock and 8.30. 
Wow, that's so creepy. Because apparently the military had just accidentally drawn a cross across Cincinnati (laughs) where they were testing all of their flight patterns. Like at the same time, like finish my coffee, go test things. Basically. Oh, the sonic boom's going off. It's time for bed, guys. Yeah. Um, so I have to review a few of these uh, Project Blue Book reports for you, okay? <laughs> the first one I have for you is from March 1967 in Lebanon, Ohio. An area woman called authorities to report, quote, a large, bright, spinning object near her home. When she returned to her driveway, the car headlights went out momentarily. Okay. So she went inside to call Right Pat, because apparently that's what you did. I don't know. <laughs> She went to her home to call an Air Force investigator at Wright Pat to report the craft. The craft was about the size of a small house beside her, behind her home and was apparently changing altitude frequently. A fellow witness reported that it made an indescribably discur- disturbing noise when it came very low. Interesting. Deputies and officers responded to this report and found nothing. Your house is shaking? Is it yeah. a UFO? It might be. It's probably a UFO. Yeah. Or a, or a husband coming up the stairs? No one's coming up the stairs. Hmm. So the only answer is UFO. UFO. We gotta call right Pat. I, I need to call right Pat. Right now? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm calling. Just like a science teacher from Tiffin, Ohio. Ah, okay. Who reported a flash of light that she saw driving home from school and then a day later in the same spot found charred pieces of Sputnik-like satellite equipment. Researchers at Wright Pat who collected the material um, closely examined it and declared it a hoax. Okay. This is my favorite one. In 1961, Joe Simonton of Eagle River, Wisconsin reported that his breakfast had been interrupted by a flying disc landing outside his home. I hate when that happens. I know, right? Apparently, from the flying disc, the hatch opened, and a being described as non-threatening came out. (laughs) It was me. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. When I think of you, I think of non-threatening being. (laughs) The being communicated telepathically, and asked Joe to get him a jug of water. Hmm. Joe looked inside the craft and saw another being cooking on the <laughs> planet. <laughs> Something that looked like pancakes. Oh my god. Alien cakes. Alien cakes. So Joe got them water. And he got them their jug of water. And in return, he the beings gave him four pancakes. <laughs> Can I share my screen with you just one more time? I want to show you these pancakes. I can't leave you without knowledge of the space pancakes. No, I need the space pancakes. Am am I sharing them with you? Whoa, no, what? What the hell? Those are space pancakes. That is an odd-looking pancake, I'll admit. It's a pancake. It looks like a flat mushroom. I think it looks like one of those Pizzelles cookies, but not like a well-made one. Right, right. Yeah, I was just distracted because there's also, like, a picture of legit pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, like, pretty uncanny. Like, you're going to have to come up with something a little better than that, Joe. <laughs> but the little cookie-looking thing. Yeah, yeah. That makes more 
more sense. It looks dry as hell. No wonder they need the water. <laughs> Astronomer J. Allen Hynek was dispatched to take the pancakes back for yeah. analysis. <laughs> I mean, all kidding aside, like, you have to follow up. You have to, you know. J. Allen Hynek goes to get the pancakes. <laughs> and he determines, after rigorous scientific analysis, that they were buckwheat pancakes. <laughs> Made with sugar and grease. Okay. These... So really flat buckwheat pancake. I mean, I've made buckwheat pancakes before. They can be really finicky. Yeah, they don't rise super well unless you're very, very good at what you do. Yeah, no, and he did not apparently find any ba- any leavening in here. There's not any leavening uh-huh. on this list, so... Okay. Joe, you just needed to add some baking. You needed to leaven those pancakes, bud. So anyway, these pancakes remain on display at right now. I'm not even kidding. Oh, I need to go back to Dayton so bad. Ah, uh, Dayton, I love you. Why are you like this? Yeah. Those are just a few of the 12,618 sightings investigated by Project Bluebird before it shut wow. down in 1969. That's incredible when you think about how short that time span really is versus how many investigations actually took place. Like, they were very, very busy with us. They were very, very busy. Now, I have to say that although we shared some of kind of the goofier ones and some of the, like, these were obviously hoaxed because those are the ones that are the easiest to get records on. Right. 701 of those Project Blue Book cases remain unexplained. That is so interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's that's just in 20 years. Now, again, I have to say, like, let's define UFO. And let's define UFO in Cold War era terms. Right, right, right. Unidentified flying object. As we said, there's a lot of shit happening in the sky right now. Yes, yes. And without a doubt, there were unidentified flying objects. Without it, like, by definition. By definition, there were 701 of them, right? Yeah, yeah. So there are, in fact, UFOs. Just maybe they, maybe some of them have a more terrestrial explanation. Right, right. But hits keep on coming. We're only to 1970. We still have to get through the Travis Walton incident. I made my partner watch Fire in the Sky. Oh. He was not impressed. I don't know. I love Fire in the Sky. We still have to get past the Gulf Breeze photos and the Phoenix Lights. At the same time, some of the absolute best science fiction in the world is happening at this time. Yes, definitely. Like, let's kind of talk chicken and the egg. Some of these Mm -hmm. incidences were probably highly influenced, consciously or not, by science fiction. Mm -hmm. But also a lot of science fiction, like the Travis Walton incident, then kind of went on to, like, spur a lot of film and movies and everything like that. Totally. It's funny to kind of see some of the things that actually were flying above you at the time. Yeah, yeah definitely. What last one that I'm really going to talk about here is the Pine Barrens incident. Do you know this one? I don't think so. Okay. So 1978, Pine Barrens, New Jersey. The military police officer who asked to remain anonymous was dispatched to pursue a low-flying object through Pine Barrens, New Jersey. Now, he's a military police officer. He's on military grounds. Okay. What is described is an oval-shaped flying bluish-green craft. Mm. He said in his memo describing the incident, 
that as he was pursuing the object, the craft suddenly stopped and was hovering over his car. A creature then suddenly appeared from the craft right in front of his car. The creature was about four feet tall, grayish brown, had a fat head, long arms, and a slender body. The military police officer panicked and shot five rounds out of his, four, out of his 45 caliber directly at the creature and then one round at the craft. The creature ran toward the fence line, and by this time, other police officers had come to his assistance. They chased it down and went to look for it. They reportedly found this creature's body dead near a runway, reeking of ammonia. Interesting. The next day, a Wright Pat officer came in to the Pine Barrens uh, Air Force Base, crated the creature, sprayed it with something, and then put the crate into a bigger metal container and took it back to Wright Pat. Mm. Interesting story. There's a this yeah, is like very that. closely aligns to a specific X Files episode. Yes, it does. Yeah. More of this story, if you're interested, because this one's really interesting, can be found in the book Strange Craft, the true story of an Air Force intelligence officer's life with UFOs. Now, interesting, because it wasn't the original MP that tracked down the craft who this book is based off of, but an officer who just happened to see the crate being put into the plane. That's my issue. As much as I love aliens and UFO stories, like even if we go back to those Roswell stories, everything is so second and third hand. Yeah. I mean, I think like what I struggle with the most, you know, I love the stories too. And, you know, as you know, and as our audience knows, I'm less skeptical than you are in in general practice um, of life. But yeah. what gives me so much pause... I'm here to be a co-joy. Yes, yes, yes. Um, what gives me all the pause in the world, though, is, like, you always... Everything that we describe can only be described out of our particular context, right? And, mm-hmm. like, to my mind, intellectually, for there to be life intelligent enough to be in our presence, it would have to be in my mind, like, indescribable in the human context. Mm -hmm. It would be so far advanced of us. It would be, you know, but there's all this commonality between these descriptions that are so painfully human, right? Like, they're always bipedal. They always have these big heads. It's very dependent on a very particular human context, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that is what, like, inherently makes it hard for me to believe. And here's the thing, like, really hardcore believers will say well because everything is so similar doesn't that lend credence to it yeah and to me it lends less credence because i just feel like it wouldn't be that similar to us yeah yeah right i just i don't know i think what's also interesting about this one is that this report of this incident came two months after one of the greatest movies of all time was released close encounters of the third kind that yeah. describes yeah. an incredibly similar incident and creature. Mm. Close Encounters was still playing in the theaters at the time of this. Uh, 
that's interesting too. I didn't know that. There were still movie posters up for it, and yeah, I mean, it, it has been largely debunked by military officers at that particular base in Pine Barrens. Yeah, that there was no physical evidence. The incident, when you read the memo, the incident describing the chain of command is apparently, again, I'm not a military person, but completely inaccurate. They had the wrong location for the military base, including like the wrong zip code for the military base. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Again, I want so hard to believe in aliens. I want to believe this. I want there to be aliens at Wright Pat. I want there to be creatures that are smarter than us. But I'm with you. I can't believe that there is going to be something that is so beyond our intelligence to travel light years to visit us. Yeah. And then just look like a smaller, big-headed version of us. Right. Like, for them to want to be here, for them to be able to be here, they'd have to be so far in advance of us, right? That, like, then it kind of begs the question, like, to them, we would be such a primitive culture. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the payoff for them to come here? Yeah. You know, and hang out with our, like, primordial asses, you know? Like, it just Yeah, like, why, why would you want to be here? Yeah. I mean, we can get humans to a lemon right like and in order for this to be true you have to believe that these creatures are traveling light years they can't just be like a couple years ahead of us hominids right just like wanting to hang out yeah no i tend to agree with you like if aliens are going to come to visit us they're going to come with a purpose too right (laughs) they're not just going to fly over willy-nilly yeah yeah, I mean, my my gut is, like, I think they're out there, and I think we're probably boring to them, <laughs> honestly. Like, why bother with whatever's going on mm-hmm. here? Yeah, I think, like, literally everything I've ever seen is, like, very explainable. Yeah. And that's my biggest struggle. Like, even when I see UFOs, when I see the Phoenix lights, mm-hmm. when I see these triangle UFOs, and maybe this comes from living near Wright Pat and constantly seeing these things. I'm like, that is a B2 or a B21. And I'm not even that into planes. Right. Yeah, I just think it's so it's so tied to the human imagination that for it to be believable, it has to be beyond our imagination to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I've read I've read better science fiction that is more believable than like an alien crash landed because like I don't know. We don't even crash that many planes on the moon, right? Yeah. I mean, if they're so good that they can be here, they're probably not crashing in a field in Mexico. Yeah. I want to believe it. I don't always want to be a killjoy. Contrary to popular belief about me, I do want to believe things. I do want to have fun. I just, I'm by nature a skeptic. I'm by nature, I want evidence and answers and things like that. When I see things that are so easily explainable, I can't believe, like, hold on. I see these planes. Yeah. These are what people call the, like, triangle UFOs. Right, right. These are very well-known planes. Like, certainly, I believe that they're in the sky, you know? Yeah, they are in the sky. Yeah. I showed my partner this one, the Lockheed Martin RQ-3 Dark Star. Mm-hmm. 
And he thought it was the dumbest thing he'd ever seen in his life. Oh, I think it's cool. It doesn't work. It also doesn't work. Mm, so cool, though. So, like, like, fucking people do this. This is how much money the military has. That's right. the scarier part to me. Yeah. Is that the military has enough money to make dumb shit like anti-gravity spacecrafts and fucking painting a a fucking American flag on a stealth bomber. Right. That is scarier to me than the existence of aliens. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about the kind of fear that could actually impact your life, like, it's kind of that, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the fact that we will throw away all of our morals and all of our qualms and have Nazis develop bombs for us. Yeah. Pretty much. That's scary. Scarier than aliens. I welcome aliens more than Nazis. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Anyway, that's the moral of the story. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there was one alien murdered, maybe up to 16. Yes. So it is true crime. It is true crime. There was a pancake theft. Mm -hmm. Indeed. I hope you enjoyed these stories of little green men at Wright Pat. And, you know, if you consider making pancakes without leavening to be a crime against baked goods, then really, we've told a true crime story here this week. I hope that all of our lovely listeners enjoyed this foray into Alien Town USA, a.k.a. Wright Pat Air Force Base. Indeed. I know I did. So thank you for bringing that to us today. As far as next week goes, it'll be the episode that I promised a couple weeks ago before my life turned upside down, um, wherein we go to court for a tragic murder uh, with a very unconventional animal witness. Yay! I'm very excited. I have been uh, patiently awaiting this animal witness. Yes, very patiently. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Well, anyway, we are here for your vibes. We're here for your alien tales. And yes. we will be back next week with some human murders. Yes, a little bit more normal mid wretched. So please come back. Please. <laughs> yeah, please, please, please come back. <laughs> We're not too proud to beg. I'm sorry I bored you with alien talk. No, nobody is bored. Stop with this self-deprecating bullshit. You know I hate it. <sighs> Stop. Is it, you hate me. That's what it is. Oh my god. Okay. On that note, listeners. All right. Before you stop being my friend, before you stop being my friend, we need to stop. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's stop. Um, also, nice. I'm really gross and hot in here, and I need a shower. Okay. Yeah, I need to go to sleep. Um, Eat be nice to yourselves as well. God, we really have been out of practice for a couple of weeks, haven't we? All right, we're going to get this. Okay, you do your thing and then I'll do mine. <laughs> okay. And and we love you. Okay. We're going to get we're yes. going to get this right. I promise. All right, bye friends. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> right, bye. <laughs> So in 1993, the area east of the Huffman, the area east of the Huffman Dam was acquired. 1993. 1930. Wow. <laughs> I went real confused on that. I was like, wait a minute.
a minute. You said we were between the wars. <laughs> I mean, technically. <laughs>